Cable news, noisy, boring, out of touch. That's why Salem News Channel is different. We keep you in the know. Streaming 24-7 for free. Home to the greatest collection of conservative voices like Dennis Prager, Jay Sekulow, Mike Gallagher, and more. Salem News Channel is unfiltered and unapologetic. Watch anytime, on any screen at snc.tv and local now channel 525 real life radio is a service of river city community church grace and peace to you and welcome to real life radio with pastor sean azaro of river city community church in san antonio texas as this is a church that exists to help people like you find the real life you were created for and find it to the full that's according to john 10 10 and today we continue in this series called jesus has left the building and rediscovering the biblical jesus Pastor Sean is teaching from Matthew chapter 11 and then flipping over to Matthew 25 with a message called Jesus on Success with a question to consider. That's how does this pursuit of success as the world defines it collides with God's invitation to rest? Well, sit a spell and rest with us and listen. This is Real Life Radio. Well, that is our, the name of our series, Jesus Has Left the Building. And one of the things I've observed in my gospel reading, are you doing the gospel reading every day? You keeping up? Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's an awesome blessing. One of the things I've noticed, and maybe it's like all the time and I just hadn't paid as much attention to it, but over the last number of days, even this morning's reading, Matthew 22, somebody is being, it's being said of them, and they were amazed at him. They were astounded at him. They marveled at Jesus. Whether it be his disciples, whether it be the crowd, the onlookers, you know, they're always there. I don't know who they are, but they're the onlookers. They were amazed. They marveled, astounded at him. In this morning's reading, it's actually some of his critics who it is said of them when he responded to them they, that they marveled at him. And, you know, that really has stood out to me. I, I hope that's been your experience because the whole premise of this series, when we say Jesus has left the building, the building we're talking about is the church building. And, I, and I don't, I'm not saying Jesus has left the church. It's his church. He hasn't. We're two or more gathering his name. He's there. But he doesn't stay here. He's not like sitting stuck here in these, this room waiting for us, pining away until we come back next week. The Jesus we see in the Gospels is active, engaged, and he is very much way beyond our expectations. Totally blow your mind. I wonder what it would be like if Jesus, the actual physical presence of Jesus, that we read about in the Gospels, came and walked among us right now. The American culture, the American church, I think we'd be amazed, marvel, maybe at times be embarrassed. I don't know. I just think he'd kind of blow our minds. And that's why I'm hoping that you're taking this seriously and kind of pulling the lenses off and just reading the Gospels and what it says about Jesus. Because he is absolutely amazing. And we want to get him beyond the, the Sunday school curriculum or the Bible studies or the sermons or the church stuff. We want to see him out kind of unleashed. That's why, you know, Jesus left the building rediscovering the biblical Jesus. Because when you see him as he truly is, changing lives, doing miracles, challenging sin, speaking grace and peace, you're blown away by Jesus. Now last week, we looked at Jesus' invitation to rest from Matthew chapter 11. Here's what we read, Matthew eleven twenty-eight through 30 says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. 
Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, note that word, and my burden is light. Now here's my problem. If Jesus' yoke is easy, why is rest so hard for us? Really, I I just thought, I can't just move on. Because I got a lot of feedback from people, and I heard a lot of people who, that idea of rest just being almost like a big, deep breath. Rest. And it being so appealing and attractive, and yet, sadly, elusive to a lot of people. Why is resting in him, when he says this is what he's offering, why is it so hard? And so I wanted to take a look at our idea about success, as I told you in the email this week. Because I think our idea of success is one of the problems. What actually is success? How important is success to you? That's my question. And some of you are like, no, 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 Sean, we don't, we don't think at all about success. We set out to fail, Sean, because that's how humble we are. I don't believe you. And let me just say, I, I don't think that's what, what we're really talking about here. Because 1 Corinthians 9.24 says this, Do you not know that those who run a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may win. Do you know that there is a race that God wants you to win? There is success that Father wants you to have. He wants you to be successful. I think the problem is in how we measure or define success. Because that's one of the problems. A lot of what we tend to deal with can seem very, um, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? Intangible. Hard to actually measure. When we talk about success, lots of people look at success and they think of things that are very measurable. And I would say there's not necessarily anything wrong with that, but it can lead us down some unhealthy paths. A few different people's ideas of success. Booker T. Washington said, success is to be measured not so much by the position that one has reached in life as by the obstacles which he's overcome. That's good. David Brinkley says a successful man is one who can lay a firm foundation with the bricks others have thrown at him. I like that. Now this one, by the way, this is from Bill Cosby. It is worth the price of admission this morning, okay? If you've got nothing else but this, I'm telling you, you would be getting something that is a gift. Listen to what he says. Bill Cosby says, I don't know the key to success, but the key to failure is trying to please everybody. That's good stuff right there. I'm just telling you, if you remember that, Trying to, because we live in a people-pleasing culture. If you could understand and just make the determination, I am not going to live my life as a people-pleaser, you would be set free. Vince Lombardi said, the difference between a successful person and others is not a lack of strength, not a lack of knowledge, but rather a lack of will. General Patton said this, I don't measure a man's success by how high he climbs, but how high he bounces when he hits bottom. I like that. It's interesting how we perceive success. A gentleman named Simon Sinek, he's a career advisor and author of a book called Start With Why, said this. He said, I went to an event for high-performing entrepreneurs. The question was asked of the room, how many of you have achieved your financial goals? Amazingly, 80% of the room raised their hand. So this is a pretty high-octane group. 80% raised their hand. Then the question was asked, How many of you feel successful? 80% of those hands went down. With very few set of hands left up. 
He says, this example alone shows that there is little or no connection between the standard measurement of success and the feeling of success. And that's really what we're talking about. How do you determine if you're successful? How do you measure success? Because we live in a world that finds ways to measure success. And I'm going to suggest I don't think that's always for good reasons. Okay, business, it's real easy to measure success, the bottom line. And we're prepared for that in school, because in the classroom, you know how we measure success? The grade. And we raise them from the littlest, tiniest little kids to learn, okay, you get the grade. We assign a number to it, and you can average it out, and it's in your record forever. And man, that's how we measure success. Sports, we love our sports. Sports are awesome because it's so crystal clear the score is the measure of success. Don't, no problem. And because of that, I think, I think that we are all kind of wired with these certain things that we go, okay, this is how I know I'm successful. Men, we have ours, right? I think often men look at just the number. What's the, when it comes to salary, money, the number. That can become an objective standard for us of success. And I can know how successful I am compared to you by that number. Our toys kind of an acceptable, visible manifestation of this number. Our toys are a sign of our success. And I see some of you women nudging him. He's talking about you right now. Mm. You've got to have that thing, don't you? You know, yeah. Women, you've got some too. You've got some areas where society has told you what you're supposed to be, who you're supposed to be, how you can compare. Think of things like dress sizes, weight, your home, things that you think to measure up, to be what I'm supposed to be, I've got to have this and this. This is good, this is not. Or this is good, this is not. Whatever it is. And we've got these culturally imposed measures of success. And you guys might look at me and go, well, Sean, whatever, you're a pastor, okay? You don't have to worry about things like that. What kind of things could you possibly kind of worry about? What numbers could you keep? What could you count? Are you kidding me? We actually put you in rows so we can count you more easily. Are you kidding? I'm kidding about that. Kind of. Seriously, you go to pastor's conferences. You know, when, some, when someone asks you the question, how's it going there, doc? <laughs> it's not because anybody has a PhD. It's just like calling each other doc. It's like a Bugs Bunny thing. When they ask that question, the answer is typically two things. Nickels and noses. Butts and bucks for the more crude among us. Seriously, and, and, you, and, and you know, nobody wants to reduce something as sacred as the church of Jesus Christ or those things, but any, I don't care what field it is, you put a bunch of sinners in there, a bunch of people who are fallen and sinful, saved by grace, and you're going to have the potential for that. I can't tell you how many pastors, in the last month I've talked with several different pastors specifically, who are beaten down, struggling, and often it is simply because of the numbers. Either the numbers, their drivenness to keep the numbers going, because that's what i got to do, that's what's expected, got to keep the numbers going. Or a discouragement and a defeat because the numbers aren't good enough and people are looking at me and my elders are looking at me. And, you know, if it can happen in ministry, let me just say it can happen in your life and in your job. And what would be really good is we just be honest about it and go, yeah, we've got a problem 
with the numbers. What do you actually measure? What's your score that you keep track of? There's a few very negative things, dangers, I think, of keeping the wrong score. First is pride. Score is all about pride. You know that, right? Kids figure it out very quickly, as much as we try. They have everyone's a winner. They see right through that garbage, okay? You can, that's a waste of time. Everyone's a winner. Everyone gets a trophy. Yeah, but mine's a little bigger. Everyone's a winner. And then they, they figure out what the grade point average is, and they start keeping that score. You can't hide that, because the problem with it is that pride, and, and pride is all about comparisons. You understand that, right? And score is all about comparisons. And that just feeds pride. And pride either manifests itself in puffed up, exalted pride that becomes arrogant, or beaten down self-image, which is bruised or damaged pride, either has real problems and is a, is a, is a danger. You're listening to Real Life Radio, a service of River City Community Church, as you're hearing the third message in a series called Jesus Has Left the Building and Rediscovering the Biblical Jesus. In fact, you can find this whole series on the sermons link at reallife.org. Plus, at the site, see all the great small groups that are available to get connected with. Plus, ways River City Community Church is giving back and serving the community, doing things you can do with your whole family and be the hands and feet of Jesus. Again, that's at reallife.org. Hi, this is Sean Azaro, pastor of River City Community Church. I want to let you know about a series we're beginning, really more a journey of discovery called Jesus Has Left the Building, Rediscovering the Biblical Jesus. Now, Jesus Christ is one of the most well-known, off-quoted, yet misunderstood personalities in all of human history. The church he launched changed the entire course of Western civilization and beyond. Yet sometimes it feels like that church has lost its way in recent years. Is it possible that we've forgotten the real Jesus? Or worse, reinvented him to suit our purpose or politics? We're hoping to start a very important conversation, and we'd love for you to be a part. River City is located a mile and a half outside of Loop 1604 on Lookout Road, right across from Atama Park. Service times are 9 and 11. River City is a church for real life. Our home on the web is reallife.org. So to find out everything you need to know, stop by our website at reallife.org. We hope to see you soon on the road to real life. Welcome back as we return to this message of Jesus on success. This is Real Life Radio. A second danger of keeping the wrong score is discouragement. Some of these pastors I've talked to, that's their issue, their struggle, discouragement. They're doing great works in people's lives, but because their numbers don't make it so where they'll probably be invited to speak at the national conference, they're feeling defeated when they're like out there doing great work, making a difference in people's lives. But they're discouraged. Frustration. The numbers don't work for you, and you want the numbers to work, and you want to matter, you want to compare, you want to do well, and all of a sudden you become frustrated. How about drivenness? Then you start, now it's all about the numbers, and now it's drivenness, and i got to have more, i got to do more, i got to make more, i got to get more. And this drive starts to happen. And then you can cross over into compromise, because the drivenness can lead you to compromise, to cut corners, to cheat. All totally broken and contrary to the heart of God. I want to say we need a new measurement. We need a new scorecard, if you will, to understand success. Now, before I move on, I want to be real clear. Being numbers aware is not a problem. Being numbers focused is a problem. I think it's wise to be aware of numbers. We can see in Scripture places where they were <clears throat> aware of the numbers. The numbers will tell us. You know, there are numbers that we as church leaders should look at. There are numbers that you in your life as a steward or in your business should look at because they're indicators to you. 
But there's a big difference between being aware of the numbers and being focused on and driven by the numbers. And a lot of us live being driven by the numbers. So the big question in the context of our series here, okay, Jesus left the building. How does Jesus keep score? What's Jesus measure? Now, if, turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 25. We're going to pick up at verse 14. Matthew 25 is part of a discussion that Jesus gives, and he's answering his disciples. They said, tell us about the signs of your coming and the end of the age. They have the same kind of fixation with the end of the days, end of times, as we do. You know, we did a series called, uh, I think we called it Apocalypse Now, on Revelation. And every time I said the word Revelation, the team would play some dun-dun-dun music, okay? Because we get so weird over end-time stuff. And the disciples are wanting to know the end-times And, you know, they lived, after talking to Jesus, as though, and every Christian generation has lived as though we are the last generation. And that was by design. God intended it that way. Because, folks, here's the deal. You know, there are all kinds of signs, and if you interpret the scriptures, there are all kinds of things that we could say. Jesus could come at any time. Really could. And that could be, as described in the scripture, coming in the clouds, catching us away, entering into, ushering in the final days, that could happen any time. Or Jesus could come in a car accident on the way home, a sickness or a disease. You see, that's the reality. <laughs> we, we need to understand the whole point is not so we'll go into the book of Revelation and obsess and try to look at every political event, every leader, and go, is he the one? Is oh, my gosh. And, and really, we miss the whole point. We're absolutely missing the point. The point is very simply, you're supposed to live as though you don't have a lot of time here, because you don't. That's objectively true for every person. And unless we have a number of infants here with great genes, within the next hundred years, all of us are going to experience that. Some of us, next five years, next 20 years. The fact is, All of this is designed to have us living in such a way that we understand this is not all there is. God has something bigger. He's going to bring that into play, and it could happen now. Wouldn't it have been cool if the second time it would happen when I said now like that? I would be pretty... Anyway, I digress. Things that pop into my mind that I have to wrestle under control, I can't always do it, okay? I just needed to open that up to you so you could pray for me. It's in that context. They're asking Jesus, tell us. He tells them a number of things to expect, and then he says in Matthew 25, beginning at verse 14, this. He says, Again, it will be, the end of days will be, like a man going on a journey, who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. To one, he gave five talents of money. To another, two talents. And to another, one talent. Each according to his ability. Very important idea. Then he went on his journey. The man who'd received the five talents went at once put his money to work and gained five more. So also the one with the two talents gained two more. But the man who'd received the one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. Well, after a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who'd received the five talents brought the, brought the other five. Master, he said, you've entrusted me with five talents. See, I've gained five more. The master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Another translation says your master's joy. 
The man with the two talents also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two talents. See, I've gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who received the one talent came. Master, he said, I knew that you're a hard man. He's not much of a flatterer, is he? He doesn't really have a good way with people. I knew that you're a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown, gathering where you've not scattered seeds. So I was afraid, and I went out and I hid your talent in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. You can see him kind of cleaning it off. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant, which, by the way, was the real issue. It wasn't the master. It was the servant. You wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I had not sown, gathered where I have not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. Take the talent from him. Give it to the one who has ten talents. For everyone who has will be given more, and he'll have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I think in that story, Jesus gives us a beautiful glimpse at, in the final measurement of things, what does actual success look like? And this isn't a kind of end of times thing. This isn't a afterlife thing. This is a right now followers of Jesus Christ glimpse into the mind and the teaching and the gift of our Savior. His definition of success. And now, if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down because this really is part two from last week. And I want you to remember this. You'll never realize Jesus' gift of rest until you accept his definition of success. You will never realize Jesus' gift of rest until you accept his definition of success. Our lack of rest is not Jesus' problem. It's ours. Oh, Jesus, I want your rest. Lord, I want you. I want to be, and then, but, but Jesus, I've got to fit you into my kind of train that I'm on. I've got to fit you into this driven existence of mine because I have to do this, Jesus, and I'll fit you in where I can. Maybe I can get 15 minutes in the morning with you in the midst of my drivenness and my pursuit of success. You'll never realize Jesus' gift of rest until you accept his definition of success. And I think we've just been given that. Four questions that will tell us how we're doing in light of Jesus' definition of success. First, are you being faithful? Because isn't that what he says? Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will make you master or steward over much. In John 17, 4, look what Jesus says. This is his, we call it his high priestly prayer. One of the final things he prayed and said, it's a, it's a conversation he has with the Father. On the night that he was betrayed, John 17, 4, he prays to the Lord, to his Father. He says, I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. In other words, Father, I have glorified you by being faithful and obedient with what you gave me. That is the beginning of success in Jesus' eyes. And the question is, are you being faithful? It is fascinating that he gives those two servants the exact same commendation. And in our economy, that seems unfair. Wait a minute, one worked harder, and he made five. Why would he get the same? Because we would, the guy who we'd have speak at our conference would be the guy who'd made five talents. The guy who'd made two, you know, he's, he's good and all. I'm sure he's very, very effective, but, you know, that's not as, you know, wow. 
Five talents, ooh, that's good stuff. I want to hear his story, how you can make five talents in your spare time at home, you know. We, <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> but that's the guy that we would want because he's, we, bigger is better. Jesus doesn't do any of that. He gives them both the exact same commendation. Well done. Good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. This is an interesting uh, principle. Remember how he chose to give them the different amounts? It says each according to his what? His ability. Here's a principle. Not everyone has the same ability. That's why comparisons are so damaging, broken, and inappropriate. Not everyone has the same abilities. Not everyone's been given the same amount of talents. Not everyone was born in the same family. Not everyone has the same opportunities. It is broken to sit and try to compare with other people. You have no idea what kind of abilities they have, what kind of opportunities, what kind of obstacles. None of it. And the whole comparison thing is screwed up because we don't understand this simple principle. Not everyone has the same ability. And here's what Jesus is letting us know. Your ability is the primary measure of your accountability. Thank you, Pastor Sean. You've been listening to Real Life Radio as next week we'll continue this series called Jesus Has Left the Building and Rediscovering the Biblical Jesus as it's available right now as a free download when you find the sermons link at reallife.org. We invite you to do more than just hear but see and do when you join us at River City Community Church located on Lookout Road right behind Rotama Park. You can see all the details, directions, and service times also at reallife.org. If you'd like to call the church, the number is 210-490-5262 as Real Life Radio is a service of River City Community Church. We hope you join us again next time for more Real Life. River City Community Church is a church for real life. Real life is what we were created for and what we're all about. Hi, I'm Pastor Sean Azaro, and we believe that we were made to have a life full of meaning and passion that can only be found in relationship with our Creator. That's what real life is. Now, for us, real life has a bit of a double meaning in that this faith of ours is also a relevant thing to the real world. It works in real life. It's not just a church thing. It's a way of living that powerfully impacts your home, work, and social world. That's why River City has a relaxed, casual feel where we enjoy practical teaching, inspirational music, and age-appropriate discovery for the whole family. We want to help every single person find the life they were created for. River City is located a mile and a half outside of Loop 1604 on Lookout Road, across from Atama Park. Sunday service times are 9 and 11. Our home on the web is reallife.org. To find out everything you need to know, stop by our website at reallife.org. We look forward to meeting you on the road to real life.